Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Healthy. I don't know if it's the fact that I just drank a matcha, which I haven't had matcha in so long, but the energy that it gives you is just elite. It's like this stable, I mean, you guys know, people have had matcha before, but anyway, I don't know if it's because I just drank a matcha and I have energy or if I'm actually kind of (sighs) excited is the wrong word because it's really just the most overused meaningless word in the world at this point. Everyone is excited about everything and it means nothing. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this episode today because I guess I get to talk about the one thing that I always feel comfortable talking about. Everyone has their home base and this is mine for better or worse. Food, kind of. Mostly our relationship to food, but pretty much what happened. I kind of had a feeling that this was going to happen, to be honest, because throughout my whole pregnancy situation, especially now towards the end, people keep telling me like, oh, you're so small. You look like you're, you know, five or six months pregnant, not eight months pregnant. And I've tried to not dwell too much on those comments or really repeat them because it kind of sounds like maybe in, maybe this is just my fucked up head but I've always taken like oh you look skinny as like a compliment even when I know it's not even when I've been like severely depressed and that's why I'm skinny my fucked up brain chemistry and the pathways in my head that have been created from you know very early adolescence and childhood that have solidified as skinny like solidified the idea that skinny equals good anytime someone tells me oh you look so small the fucked up part of my head is like, that's a compliment. So I have tried to not like dwell too much on those comments because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging almost like "Mm, I'm still skinny. Like that's so fucked up on so many levels. Right. But people have been saying this to me a lot. And I do know that like, I'm not that big, not in a good way, like in a way that I'm like, is something wrong? So I had a growth scan, like an ultrasound on Thursday. It's Tuesday now. So it was like a few days ago last week. And immediately I kind of knew something was wrong. Like the tech was super quiet. She wasn't really answering my questions because every time I go in there, I always have like questions I want to know about, you know, are all the levels good? Like, how's everything looking? Talk to me, please. But she didn't really say that much. And then she left And she left me in the room with this like goop on my stomach for like 15 minutes. And I'm just lying there looking at her computer Doppler machine thing, trying to read what it says. But like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And they've never left me like they don't usually leave you in the room for that long mid ultrasound. You know, it was weird. And so I just knew that something was wrong And eventually she came back and she told me that the baby is measuring really small. It's in like the eighth percentile, which is really small, um, which technically means it has like fetal growth restriction. Fetal growth restriction is when your baby isn't measuring, you know, in comparison to the gestational age or like your due date or whatever, it's pretty much measuring like way smaller than it's supposed to be. And anything below 10%, 10% or below Um, if it's smaller, if it's in the 10th percentile or below, sorry, that pretty much qualifies as fetal growth restriction. So not the best news. They actually moved my due date to the end of December and 
immediately when you find out news like that, you start to ask yourself like, okay, what did I do wrong? What can I do to fix this? And sometimes, especially in pregnancy, there's nothing you can do to fix things. Like there's so much that's out of our control to the point that I hate it because I'm, I like to be able to control things in my life. I like to know, you know, what's happening next, what I can do to manipulate outcomes so that they're in my favor. Like, but everything in this pregnancy hasn't been what I wanted. Like I would have never picked a due date at the end of December between Christmas and New Year's. That's like the worst time to have a baby in my opinion. Um, just because like their birthday is going to be like between the holidays, everyone's going to either be out of town or with their families. There's already so much going on. I know these are all, you know, shallow reasons to not want to have a baby at that time, but it's just not ideal. Like everything about this pregnancy is not what I would have chosen truly. And in the beginning, I, I was still dumb enough to think that I could manipulate the odds to be in my favor when really the cards had already been dealt like for the next nine, 10 months they had been dealt. I just hadn't seen all of the cards yet. But anyway, so immediately I started blaming myself and asking like, okay, what can I do? And the tech was pretty thoughtful in her answer. She didn't say, you know, you have to do this or that, but she was pretty much just like, well, you know, eat well, try to eat like a lot, up your calories, but make sure you're eating like nutrient dense food and just try not to stress out too much. Um, cause she was like, you don't have any of the risk factors for, for this. It's just, I guess it just happened to you. If you've been really stressed out, that could be a reason. It is the reason by the way, that's, I mean, it must be the reason like what else, <laughs> what else is there? Cause I've, I have been eating, maybe I haven't been eating enough, but I, I thought I had anyway. So she pretty much was just like, eat more and stress less. And since then, I spent the whole weekend just like forcing myself to eat all the time, pretty much, which I don't even think that is healthy, but I just tried to lay really low, eat quote unquote well, whatever that means, and rest and not stress. But when I'm not moving as much, when I am at home stuck with my thoughts, that's probably when I stress out the most usually because that's the time that I have, that's when I have the most time to reflect on, you know, everything that I kind of regret and all of these thoughts that we all have thoughts that kind of bounce back into our minds when everything is quiet. I guess you would call them intrusive thoughts. Sometimes you get them. Sometimes for me, I'll get them like late at night or if I wake up in the middle of the night, that's the worst time for them. But um, yeah, that's what I tried to do all weekend is just stress less. That part didn't work, but to eat a lot more and also to reevaluate everything that I had been eating, which I thought was all healthy stuff. And I still think it is, but maybe, you know, trying to up the quantities of everything. And in search of what I should be eating or just ideas for things to eat while you're in your third trimester and you're kind of sick of everything that you've been eating, which is how I feel. Like I've been eating so many eggs. I eat like three eggs a day, which is at this point, like if I don't see another egg for years or months after I'm done being pregnant, I'll be so happy. Um, so many dates, a lot of meat, like a lot of steak, a lot of good fats, like avocado, cheese, dairy, um, a lot of fruit, just, I don't know, just, I'm trying to eat like nutrient dense stuff. Right. But it's just getting so repetitive. And a lot of the things I like are 
technically off limits, like raw fish, sushi, smoked salmon, you know, raw meat. That might sound gross to people, but I personally love like going out to eat and getting like French fries and a nice steak tartare or something, or like a medium rare steak. I love that shit. And that's kind of not ideal or even like prosciutto or cold cuts or like even a good like deli sandwich. Like I love that, but I can't have none of that. So everything is like super cooked and just nasty and I'm over it. And so I, I start looking up like one of my most guilty pleasures probably when it comes to content, when it comes to food content or just content in general I don't know if you guys watch this type of content. It's weird and it's oddly personal. And I'm guilty. I've made these videos before. I enjoy making them. I think they're super interesting because when you see what someone eats in a day, you really like, other than maybe going through their phone, seeing what people actually consume is very, like, it's a huge reflection of who somebody actually is. And it's a huge window into the life of somebody. So yes, I started looking up what I eat in a day videos again. This is not my first rodeo with what I eat in a day videos. I used to watch certain what I eat in a day videos religiously. Mainly there was this one model. Well, there is this one model. I don't watch her videos as much anymore because she had like two kids now. And I don't even know if she still makes what I eat in a day YouTube vlogs. But Romy Stridge, Stridge, Stride, I don't know how to say her last name. But anyway, she used to be a Victoria's Secret model. She was like one of their top models. And she would film these YouTube vlogs where she would like fly all around the world to do different photo shoots for different, you know, runway situations and all of that stuff. But her main, like one of her main pillars of content was that she would film like what I eat in a day is when she was flying around the world. And most of the what I eat in a day videos featured like avocado toast that she's really known for and acai bowls and all of the typical model food that was and still is but definitely was super popular from like the mid 2010s until I mean really now but the age of avocado toast I can't speak avocado toast and acai bowls and all of that stuff um I think they it was like the most popular thing in the world in certain circles a few years ago like I remember there were certain cafes in New York City this cafe called Two Hands um, in Soho that would just have a line wrapped around the block just to get an avocado toast. And the same with, you know, different cafes in LA and stuff like that. And all of those types of foods, they're all, it's like an Australian inspired breakfast with the fruit and the avocado and the cappuccinos and flat whites and whatever. But her, what I eat in a day is we're just very standard that. It was, you know, all of this quote unquote healthy Instagram approved food. And I was just mesmerized by it. One, I think because everything she ate seemed so like she would just Postmates everything. And if you're Postmates or Uber Eats saying a bunch of like acai bowls and avocado toast and like, you know, kale salad grain bowls all day, every day for me personally, I mean, I was writing about food at that time, but I was. I didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't, I wasn't ordering a bunch of, you know, expensive health food every day on Uber Eats. Part of me was like, damn, that's so expensive to be eating like that. And it was. And so it was almost like aspirational content, 
on two fronts on the front that it was everything was super clean and healthy but also on the front of like wow this woman is like so financially secure that she's just ordering like half a smoothie on postmates for 35 dollars because she just doesn't give a fuck and there was and is also something refreshing about a supermodel who doesn't hide the fact that she doesn't eat like she doesn't hide the fact that she eats very healthy. She doesn't eat that much. She works out a lot and, you know, is pretty realistic about what you actually need to do to get to the point that she was at physically, which is like one, okay, genetics play a huge role in the fact that she's, I don't know, six foot something and has super long legs and just has like a small frame. But also your diet is a huge component of how you feel and how your body looks. Just it's an unavoidable fact. And the fact that she was always very open with what she actually ate and wasn't trying to dress it up with like, oh, I'm just eating a burger and I'm just, you know, I eat milkshakes and fries and burgers every day, all day was refreshing. And it kind of reminds me, it reminded me of like Victoria Beckham, who kind of a weird jump to go to, but she's another super famous supermodel-esque type of person, icon skinny legend who has never has never dressed up the fact that anytime she's asked like what's your diet or what do you eat it's very very restrictive her answers are always very restrictive everything she eats it's like no carbs no sugars uh no nothing just very small portions of extremely clean healthy foods and I know whenever celebrities or you know supermodels or whoever whenever they're honest about what they actually eat and say that, you know, they don't allow themselves to eat pretty much half the food groups or any fast food or anything like that. Whenever they're honest about how restrictive they are, they always get a lot of backlash. Victoria Beckham obviously has always gotten a lot of backlash. Well, not obviously, but she's gotten a lot of backlash for saying that she pretty much doesn't really eat anything except small sips of green juice. And Romy... Also, in the YouTube comments, you would always see backlash like, wow, I eat that in like my first breath at breakfast or whatever. And that type of backlash isn't only reserved for celebrities. I see the same type of comments said to random smaller creators who post what I eat in a day videos that might not be. Well, sometimes the comments are warranted. I'm going to be honest with you. I saw a what I eat in a day vlog recently. This was fucking traumatizing, honestly, and really concerning. But the vegan what I eat in a days from pregnant women are fucked up. That is a dark part of the internet. Just point blank, period. Like, first of all, I have no... Well, actually, let me just not even try and be PG about it. If you're pregnant, you should not be vegan. I'm sorry. Like, if you choose to be vegan while pregnant... I think that's an extremely neglectful choice. I think veganism in general is, it's just not something that makes sense for humans. Like, okay, maybe it's better for the environment to some degree. Not even though, because if you look at the types of farmland that are available for human agriculture, I can't even remember the stats anymore, but like half the fucking farmland on earth isn't even meant for growing crops. It's meant for grazing cattle and it's meant for livestock. So, and if you know how a farm works, like you need livestock to fertilize the soils, to grow fruits and vegetables. Like this shit is a cycle. You're stupid if you think just growing carrots across the whole universe is going to feed everybody and it's going to nourish everybody. It's not. So veganism in general, like I disagree with. Yes, people should eat more plants. Yes, people should 
be more conscious of eating real foods, not eating processed shit, not eating factory farmed meat, of course. But there's so many things that are available to you from animal products. And people will say, well, you can get protein and you can take supplements and stuff like that while being vegan. You can, you know, still get protein from chickpeas and shit. Fine. But there's so many more nutrients that are more bioavailable, especially from animal products. Like iron is so much more bioavailable from animal products. Choline, collagen, B12, like so many more, so many micronutrients. I, I, this is not even the subject of, of that, but like veganism period, I'm, I'm good. We've all been through, I've been through a vegan phase. Glad I came out of it. I went through a long vegetarian phase. I was vegetarian for pretty much 10 years with a couple breaks here and there. Glad that's over, but it's your choice. If you want to be vegan as an adult, that's your choice. But to choose to be vegan while pregnant is such a neglectful decision, in my opinion, because there's so many nutrients that you need that are so much easier and better to get from animal products, not to mention how much more iron and protein you you actually need in pregnancy. Never mind like the collagen that will help your tissues repair. Never mind. Just, yeah. So already like vegan pregnant shit, I... It makes me nervous because I'm just like, I feel sorry. This, maybe this is going to sound fucked up. It's probably going to piss people off, but I literally like feel sorry for your unborn child that you're just like making frozen banana ice cream, like nice cream, which is just blended frozen bananas with coconut milk and thinking that that's going to like nourish a developing fetus. It's anyway. So, um, Sometimes the comments of like, girl, what the fuck are you doing? This is super unhealthy. You need to eat a burger. Sometimes they're warranted. I'll, I'll give you that. Like in the case of vegan pregnant, what I eat in a day is those are fucked up. And there was one specifically, I'm going to just call this creator out because you guys just go to her page and just watch her videos. Like don't leave hate or anything. But this was the one creator where I was like, okay, I have to draw the line. Like, this is scary. This is actually scary. Um, this girl, I saw her on Instagram, her reels, her at is Caroline Deisler, D-E-I-S-L-E-R, Caroline Deisler. I don't know how to say her last name. Once again, all of these like Nordic last names, (laughs) European last names, I don't know how to pronounce them. But anyway, all of her videos are like, I'm in the Maldives and I'm 28 weeks pregnant. And today I ate a plate of papaya for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's like, oh God, first of there's not even a first of all, it's just, it's bad. You know, it's bad. Um, but the point of all that is to say that regular people are not immune to criticism when it comes to what they eat, just like celebrities are not immune to it. It's one of the only things I think that it's an equal playing field. Like while celebrities might be criticized more for, other choices that they make just because everything they do is through the lens of the public eye, I guess. Regular people, you will get just as much hate if you post what you're eating in a day and it doesn't perfectly align with whoever's watching it vision of health and kind of the fucked up mentality that we have around food in North America, which is like, we need to eat so much. Like we need to eat three meals a day, four snacks a day, giant portions. Like the way that we eat here in America is it's not the most conducive to a healthy lifestyle. I I don't think that's a radical thing to say either. 
it's clear that we have distorted perceptions of what eating healthy even means. Like we can't even get on the same page about it. Obviously there's so many different types of ideologies about food. There's so many different diets. It's there's, it's something that we cannot, we'll never get on the same page with it. And that probably stems from the fact that most of us were brought up being told that we need to eat these big portions and being forced to finish our food when we didn't want to just, it's not healthy. So anyway, It's hard for all of us to get on the same page with nutrition. Fair enough. But I do still appreciate the transparency that is someone like a Victoria Beckham or a Romy Stride actually being honest about what they are really eating. Because on the other hand, you have people, and this has been going on since the beginning of social media, but you have the models and the public figures and just the skinny girls who act like they actually do eat burgers and pizza and junk food all day, which is obviously a lie, but there's something so irritating to me about this lie. And more than even irritation, there's something so eating disorder to me about this fucking lie. Because it's like, why do you have to go out of your way to constantly prove to people that you're eating all of this food that it's physically impossible for you to actually eat? Like, you guys know the Instagram pictures of supermodels posing with pasta, like these big plates of pasta, and it's this super skinny model, or posing eating pizza in bed, or... There's TikTok examples of this too, but the most prominent one that I can think of is, I hate to say it because she's cool. I'm sure she's a nice person. She seems cool. She, I used to see her when I lived in New York walking down the streets sometimes. 10 out of 10. It was experience. I thought I was the shit because I lived, you know, next door to Bella Hadid. Bella Hadid's posts of her like eating a cheeseburger on TikTok. I'm sorry. To me, it has eating disorder written all over it. It, it just does. Like you only feel the need to prove to everyone around you and the public that you're eating cheeseburgers when you're not actually eating cheeseburgers. It's like if you're an alcoholic and you're drinking every day, you're probably not going to be online bragging about the fact that you're drinking every day. You're going to try and cover it up. The same thing goes for if you're actually eating cheeseburgers all the time. You're not going to brag about it. It's not something to brag about. And so while it's easy to say that the restrictive type of what I eat in a day videos like Romy's can encourage eating disorders, I think that the Bella Hadid overt gluttony, fake gluttony videos can actually encourage more disordered eating just because they're not honest at all. And so you end up getting, you know, young girls looking at Bella Hadid allegedly eating like burgers and pizza, but then being 95 pounds and being like, well, why don't I look like that if that's what I'm eating? Either message, I guess, the restrictive what I eat in a days or the non-restrictive ones, it's really hard to find a healthy message in there. There's, it's not a healthy message either way. And especially in this fragmented diet culture where everyone has a different idea of what's healthy, it's entertaining to watch, but it gets really messy. I mean, food is something that you can't avoid. That's what makes eating disorders so complicated because It's not like drinking or drugs or something where you can just cut it out from your life completely. You still have to eat. You just have to develop a healthy relationship with this thing that is unavoidable in your life. 
So I say all that to say, I guess, that what I eat in a day videos are more meant for entertainment, not as, you know, a blueprint that anyone else should follow for their own diets. And just as an aside, you never actually see like the other things that someone might be eating or not eating. Like none of this shit is really real. You know what I mean? But even though Romy's what I eat in a day videos don't have me in a chokehold anymore like they used to, I still I still like watching those types of videos. I don't know what it is. I think a lot of people enjoy watching them. I mean, a lot of people enjoy watching mukbangs too. Maybe there's just something about watching other people eat. I'm, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you what it is, but I do find myself in a really interesting place right now where I'm kind of staring at my disordered eating patterns of the past straight in the face. I'm looking at them straight in the eye while I'm eight, eight months pregnant trying my fucking best to let go of them but it's admittedly hard to do even when there is another life involved even when it's not just all about me and whatever size I want to fit into or how I want to be perceived in the world at this point that stuff doesn't matter this is the first time someone's told me like not I'm too skinny but like your baby is too small and you need to try eating more because that's really one of the only things that you can do to try and help this situation. I'm confronted with the, I guess, chokehold that skinniness has had on me my entire life. And it's hard to unpack this. Like, even now, knowing that I have to eat more for the next couple months or the next month or however long it takes to get this baby out. I would be lying if I like, I, I'm deeply uncomfortable with that idea. And even though I know that it's for the better, I still have this like very strong voice inside me. That's like eating a lot and not exercising is lazy. Don't do it. That's bad. That's not the right way to go. That's not healthy. When sometimes it is, sometimes that's literally what you should do. But I still have this, this voice in my head that's like, that's wrong. Don't do it. No. And I'm like, where does this fixation on thinness that's so deep within me and only really applies to me, doesn't really apply to others and definitely doesn't apply to the men that I have ever loved or that I've ever dated. Like, I don't even like men that are too in shape. I want to be the skinny one. You can be fat. One of us has to be like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's a me thing. It's not something that I project onto others in the world, truly. Because I've sat with this idea for a while now and I've, I've had to examine it. Like, do I judge others for being not super skinny. No, I don't. Like I actually like, let me just stop myself. But it's, it's something that I only project onto myself. And I'm like, where does it come from? Right? What is going on here? That's deeper. And I have a theory that I want to get into. I I hope it doesn't sound like I'm reaching too much when I say this, but it's something that I've only really started to consider while being pregnant because inevitably your body gets bigger when you're pregnant. Like there's not a lot you can do. Your stomach is going to get bigger. You know, you're going to gain weight. 
ideally, hopefully you gain weight. I mean, or you're in a situation like I'm in and you're fucked, but well, hopefully I'm not fucked, but you know, your body is getting bigger. You're going to take up more space. I have had to come to to terms with the fact that as my body has become bigger, whether I like it or not, something that's out of my control, staying skinny in the past and staying in shape, I think has been one of the main ways that I personally have metabolized pain. It's a way that I have been able to control and deflect some of the shit that I've been through, some of the trauma that I've carried with myself. And it's something that I can control and that I feel helps me be more palatable to the world. Being skinny means that I don't have to take up a lot of space. I don't have to be in the way. And it's not only a mechanism of action to appeal to men because I think men don't even really like skinny women. Like most of the men that I have been with have told me that you know, they don't like women that are super skinny. It's like they're women that are super skinny. It's like they're with a kid or something. Men like curves. That's why BBLs are so popular. That's why everyone wants to get their ass done and their boobs done. So it's not necessarily a mechanism of action to appeal to men, but to be smaller in general in the world is a way in which you can not intrude too much in the presence of men or in the presence of others in general, because this isn't just a male thing, but it is mostly a male thing, I think. Like being smaller, being skinny makes you more palatable because you just don't take up that much space. You're less intrusive. And in that way, I think it's made me more comfortable moving through the world, kind of just making myself a little bit smaller in order to appeal to people a little bit better in order to hopefully be rejected a little bit less, to be accepted into spaces a little bit more because you don't take up that much space. I don't know. It's hard to articulate this. And obviously, you know, these thoughts are delusional. Just because you're skinny doesn't mean that you're not going to get rejected. Just because you're skinny doesn't mean that you're going to be loved. Obviously, I know that rationally. But maintaining some sort of smallness is a way, one of the ways I think that I have dealt with trauma. And it just started to make me think like, how else do we metabolize pain? How else do we process it? And how else does it physically manifest? As women, I think we often change our physical appearance with the hopes that that will make things better and that will improve our lives. And sometimes it does. Like most of the women that I know now, most of the women who are younger than me, and this is not I'm not saying this passing judgment. This is just a fact. Most people have gotten either Botox fillers, their teeth done, a BBL, ass shots. Like most people have had some sort of something done, which is fine. Like I somehow haven't. I don't know if it's because I'm cheap or fearful or it's definitely because I'm not super comfortable with everything I have going on. But I do have something deep within me that does believe that aging naturally is kind of the ideal. I don't know where it comes from, but I just think there's something graceful about aging naturally without doing too much to prevent it. When I look at older women, like who have actually allowed themselves to age, but have 
taken 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 care of themselves over the de- the decades. I do think they look better than women who have had a lot of work done. That's just me personally, but I'm 30 now and I've had years to reflect on that. If I had had, you know, tens of thousands of dollars when I was 20 years old, maybe I would have thought differently and maybe I would have started getting stuff done then. I just didn't have the money and I didn't have the, I didn't have the desire to because culture was in a different place also in 2012 than it is now. Um, surgery was less, plastic surgery was less common then. The Kardashians hadn't fully infiltrated beauty trends as much as they have now. And this vague, racially ambiguous woman like figure that most women seem to aspire to look like with the big lips, the small waist, the big hips, the straight long hair, the tanned, but not too tanned skin, the big dark, like that standard of beauty that exists now by way of the Kardashians, it wasn't really a thing in 2012. And so I just never started getting surgery and stuff like that. But as women, I think changing our physical appearance is one of the ways that we kind of process pain. And we hope that when we quote unquote improve ourselves with these exterior features that we will somehow become more immune to the various disasters that life can bring with it. Men, on the other hand, are a whole different fucking ballgame. And I'm, I'm struggling with how to best articulate this because it's really just like a jumble of words in my head right now. But narcissism has become a buzzword this year. Like every TikTok, you know, every second video on my For You page is like surviving a narcissist. How to survive a narcissist? How to identify a narcissist? Hashtag narc talk, whatever. Even Justin LeBoy, I saw... I think today posted a video like, okay, you hoes learned what narcissism meant this year. Now, why don't you learn what accountability means? It's a trendy word, just like saying you're excited or something. I mean, there's a million trendy slang words depending on what social circle you're in, but it's become so common that it's almost starting to become devoid of meaning. However, I think if you guys will just come with me here on this attempt at putting, connecting these dots, but let's go back to the meaning of the word narcissist for a second. This is the Merriam-Webster official definition. An individual showing symptoms of or affected by narcissism, such as an extremely self-centered person who has an exaggerated sense of self-importance. Okay. So now let's go back to the topic of men. Many men have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. I couldn't tell you where it comes from, but my best guess has to be that it comes from some form of unexamined pain. When you are forced to sit with the shit that you've been through, when you're forced to sit with the shit that you've done to others to reflect on the good and the bad parts of who you actually are, the dark and the light, you will be humbled a little bit. But if you just continue to go through life, always looking for the next rush, always looking for the next ego boost, always looking for the next distraction, 
and continuing to push your pain and your trauma because we all have it. It doesn't matter where you grew up, how you grew up. We all have something that we've been through. Continuing to push it down more and more, you might develop narcissistic tendencies and those narcissistic tendencies will probably serve to benefit you because they will encourage you to only focus on yourself really and only focus on how you will improve how you will make more money how you can become the most dominant successful man possible because all of the energy all of your focus is on you and in this way I think that narcissism is a social reward that men reap from unexamined pain in a similar way to how being beautiful and maintaining ourselves and changing ourselves and getting surgery and taking care of ourselves, whatever, upholding our physical beauty is a social reward that women sometimes reap from their pain. And so when you ask the question, how do we metabolize pain? The answer is very different depending on who you are. But I started to think more about this framing of men versus women and how we're both dealing with our own you know, bullshit in different ways. Only recently, as I was confronted once again with a person who I care about deeply, like I, I really have so much love for this person. Um, but every time he comes into my life, I always end up feeling like shit after because everything is always about him and it probably always will be. And that's part of why he's so successful is because he has made everything about him shamelessly. As women, we are not given the same green light to do that. We would be looked at as just gross, selfish, greedy, self-centered individuals. And I don't mean to play the woman card too heavily here, but there is a difference between how men are celebrated when they make everything about themselves and how women are kind of looked down on if they do the same. And maybe that's why I think women are just forced to sit with their pain more often and sit kind of quietly at that because I feel like I'm really reaching at some abstract concepts here, but but when you make things more about yourself as a woman, when you become bigger, not just physically, but like take up more space with what you're doing career-wise, when you have a bigger platform, it's a really uncomfortable thing for men to learn about you. Like I've even noticed for me personally, having this podcast, when I tell guys like, oh, I have a podcast and like, I like, like posting TikToks or whatever. I can see the, their, the turnoff in their eyes. Like it's a really uncomfortable thing for most men to learn that you have a platform like it's almost like they want you to just shut up and I've heard there's crazy extremes of this like Myron from Fresh and Fit I've heard him say that if a girl has an Instagram that's considered cheating which is such an insecure thing and ridiculous thing I think to say but like as soon as you start to put yourself first and build a platform especially in the public space, I mean, you can have a very quiet career as, I don't know, like something that isn't public facing. But if you have a career that is public facing, if you have a platform, nine times out of 10, people will just call you a clout chaser or something that involves the word ho. That's just unfortunately the different 
framing that men and women have to deal with. And even though I've been called a clout chaser in the past, and I just think it's funny because one thing I'm not is a fucking clout chaser or a groupie. Like, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not that. I say all that to say men are often celebrated for their narcissism. And it's just something I've been thinking about. And that's not to say like, oh, men are bad, whatever. No, I love men. It's it's just a fact. And it's not always a good thing, the fact that men seem to be able to get away with narcissism much easier than women can. There is a much uglier shadow side to narcissism, which is, I would say, very little self-worth beside these grand beliefs that you might project publicly. But I don't know. These are just thoughts. And by the way, I need to stop saying I don't know after saying anything serious, but it's such an easy way to deflect like anything you might say that has any sort of gravity. As soon as you say I don't know at the end, it's like I take no responsibility for these thoughts. They're just, they're not mine. They're just here. But listen, the point is there is no recipe for this shit, but I think I am interested in this concept of how we process pain and the different manifestations of that, whether it's skinniness or narcissism or whatever. I saw a really funny video about this where a girl was pretty much like following Hailey Bieber's recipe for being quote unquote that girl. So like doing the super minimal makeup, wearing gold jewelry, wearing all, you know, monochromatic colors, a very minimal chic wardrobe, wearing all of Hailey Bieber's skincare line and lip gloss. And even after doing all of that, her life didn't improve at all. And she was like, Haley, I thought this was a recipe. This was supposed to be a recipe. And that's kind of how I feel about life right now, summed up. It's like, I thought this was a fucking recipe. I followed the recipe. How did I end up with all this burnt crap? How did I end up just like microdosing my own trauma on the couch, trying to digest all of it? When I've been taking care of myself, I went to college, I was honest with people, I made myself smaller, I worked hard, I didn't steal, I did my skincare, I worked out, I ate the sea moss, I did the Kegel exercises, I didn't double text, I tried to be the cool girl, I didn't cheat back. I really thought this was a fucking recipe, bro, but where is my cake? I don't know. Maybe it's still baking. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, that's all. I hope that makes sense. I'm going to go watch, probably go watch Twitch now, which I've realized, I think I watch Twitch like my mom used to watch Jeopardy or the shopping channel or something like and I know I'm not alone in this, but I think now I'm on the older end of people who watch Twitch, I guess. Well, at least the tw streamers that I've been vaguely tuning into, like Kai Snat and Aiden Ross, and, like these 20-year-olds. There's obviously older Twitch streamers too, but I think a lot of us are watching Twitch now like for just companionship. It's kind of like you're hanging out with a friend that isn't your friend. You know what I mean? There's something sad about that to me. The same way that there was something sad about me watching my mom watch infomercials or jeopardy for companionship maybe i'll talk about that on the next episode anyway good night